Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. He's also the sideline reporter for Vanderbilt Football. This show presented by the Well Coffee House, a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roasted coffee along with house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more information about The Well at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Vanderbilt drops another game in men's basketball, this one at South Carolina by a 90-64 score. The Commodores have now lost 24 straight Southeastern Conference regular season games. That ties the SEC's all-time record set by Swanee from 1938 to 1940. The guest line is presented by our friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowl and Branch. I've slept on Bowl and Branch sheets for years and love them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get these sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins us now. Mitch, of course, now works at The Athletic, where he was in Memphis yesterday for what had to be a very interesting day. Mitch, welcome to the program. Hope you are well. And explain what you were doing in Memphis and what that was like yesterday. Yeah, hey, Chris. Um, so um, as part of my gig at The Athletic, uh, I deal. I work with three writers here in Nashville and then two in, in Memphis. We have a full-time Grizzlies writer and then a, a freelancer. And I've dealt with them in the two and a half weeks that I've been on board, but I've never met them. So I just randomly picked yesterday uh, as a good time to go to Memphis to meet those guys, go to lunch, and then go to the game. It was a Sunday at 5 o'clock game, so I could go there and back the same day. And all was well. I went a little early, met with a, a friend of mine who lives there from I graduated with, and and then got in my car after hanging out with him for a little while, looked at my phone and said, whoa, obviously the, the huge news of the day and the week. And so I met those guys. We went to uh, get some lunch right near um, FedEx Forum. There was rumors that the game was, you know, all NBA games were going to be canceled. And we went to um, the arena, and, and it was just a weird setting. It was just very surreal. Um, they, NBAs have uh, NBA teams have open locker rooms for the media at, at about an hour and a half before the game, up to 45 minutes before the game, but they canceled that because to give the players you know, their space. And it was just surreal, the whole thing about it. And you know, a lot of fa- fans were chanting his name, and obviously they, this was a Grizzlies-Phoenix uh, Suns game and weren't playing the Lakers or anything, and it was just uh, it was crazy. And you and I were talking um, before the pod and trying to – find a an athlete that of similar magnitude to die or young and there really isn't you know he's he's as as big as it gets that I can think of to die young uh you know uh when I was a kid Thurman Munson catcher for the Yankees that was a big story but I don't know I lived in New Jersey so I don't know if it was just it was a different time obviously it was a very local story but you know he died in a plane crash and but just a, a crazy 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 day 
The Munson thing I will never forget. I was a kid, and I was not a Yankees fan, but a huge baseball fan. I just remember I was actually in our like our rec room and hearing that on the radio, I think, somehow. And that just was astonishing because Munson at the time, his career was a little bit on the decline, but he was the Yankees captain. Of course, New York is, of all the pro sports franchises, the Yankees might be the preeminent one in America, I think. If they're not, I don't know who is. So there was that aspect to it. It's When you try to think of similarities, that's maybe the closest I can come because he was a bit of an icon in New York, although nothing like Kobe right. is to basketball. I mean, I think Roy Halladay died. I think it was a plane crash a few years yeah. ago. He's but in the Hall of close. Fame, but he was not yeah. that magnitude. And I'm thinking, you know, Kirby Puckett died young. I, it's kind of a morbid topic, but it, really there aren't a lot of things like this, and I guess that's the point we're both making. Right. I think, you know, Prince dying a few years ago, uh, JFK Jr. dying in a plane crash, um, you know, what, maybe about, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years ago, whatever that was, um, are just some of those moments that, that stick out to me. Obviously, we were, none of, you and I weren't alive when JFK um, died. That's the one of my parents' generation that everyone, you know, kind of remembers where they were. Yeah, Michael Jackson would be another one. Of course, yeah. Princess Dial, that's that's a whole different thing. Yeah. But that might actually be the closest to this in a way. Yeah, I think as far as worldwide, you know, and, and this was a story our, our Memphis writer is going to be pursuing. They, you know, the, every NBA team has, you know, foreign players, but some of the, you know, Marco Guderic, uh, a Grizzlies player, is a bench player, was openly weeping before the game and just we're, we're going to do a story on, you know, Kobe's worldwide influence. Here's guys that grew up in Europe that were as affected by kids who grew up, you know, in the, in, in the U.S. So um, that was interesting to see. One other note, less serious note from Memphis. You know, we were there early. I'm watching the Grizzlies warm up and there's this tall dude helping uh, uh, the, the Grizzlies big guys warm up. And it was Josh Henderson. I, I oh, guess really? I, yeah, I knew he was a. He was on the Pacer staff last year, but he's on the Grizzlies staff. He's an assistant uh, video coordinator, you know, just one of those administrative coaching positions. And um, so, yeah, it was good to see. I was like, that guy looks very familiar. And then I'm like, yeah, of course. How many how many guys that big who look just like Josh uh, Henderson are there? So I, I didn't know Josh. I mean, if he saw me, he might recognize me as a guy who kind of been around the program a little bit. So if he saw me, I might have gone up to talk to him because it's very – for an NBA game, it's very casual. Like we just walked across the court while the players were warming up. It's there's some weird things about it. So like you can actually talk to the players before the game and stuff like that in the media if, they, if they're willing to talk and stuff. So you know, again, I didn't talk to Josh, but uh, it was good to see him out there. Would he be the tallest video coordinator in NBA history? I, you know what? Maybe not though. You know, I'm sure there's some other. It would, was he listed seven two? I don't or remember. Seven? Yeah. So if he's seven two, maybe I don't know because. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of former players who get into coaching and stuff, and I don't know how they started, but uh, he would have to be in the top 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 1%. I feel like if this was baseball, somebody would have that answer. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's the, the database. I don't think, uh, you know, NBA re, pro, pro basketball reference has, has that. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I guess he wants to get into coaching, and he's on a good staff there in Memphis, and so that, that was cool to see. Well, this is kind of where we are. Back to Vanderbilt, there's lots of losing, and I'm kind of running out of things to say. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It, uh, it's just, just watch 
part of that game Saturday and, and you know, look at the bench and, you know, Isaiah Rice, uh, Braley, Albert, you know, were two of the rotation guys or two of the guys coming off the bench, and, you know, walk-ons. And it's just not pretty right now, Chris. There's no way to sugarcoat it. This team just is lacking, lacking talent. Lacking, yes. Lacking talent. And I was having this conversation with some friends, you know, understanding that Aaron Neesmith of last year wasn't nearly the player that we saw Aaron Neesmith for the first, you know, six weeks of the season before he got hurt. But last year's team, I would think on a neutral court would be at least a 10 point favorite over this year's team. You just look at, you know, even though Yanni Wetzel has improved this year, but Yanni Wetzel, Matt Ryan, Aaron Neesmith on on the team, uh, uh, Joe Toy, you know, we, we thought last year's team was lacking in talent, a lot more talented than this year's team. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Willie Donick and I had this conversation. I said if you could freeze the seasons and play last year's team at that time against this year's team at this time, what would you think would happen? And he thought about it and said, well, I think it would be about a 10-point difference. And that was what I was thinking, somewhere in that 8- to 10-point range. So I think we're all on the same page here. Yeah, and, you know, Willie might have shared this same thing with you. And I value Willie's opinion a lot because he played the game, you know, and, and he, he, you know, he, sometimes when I sit with him and I actually love sitting with him at baseball games too. We sit together a lot at variable baseball games and cause he was a former pitcher and he just adds a lot of insight. And, you know, he, he I think it was after the, the Alabama game, we were texting and he said, and he, again, he might've shared this. He's like, you know, this team is well coached and they play hard. It's just lacking talent. And, you know, so it's not just me trying to defend the coaches or anything like that. Or, you know, uh, cause I, I think, you know, looking back last year, that's not, not what we thought. I'm not, I'm not absolving the staff of anything. I'm just, you know, I guess it, it, it adds even more, another layer. If, you know, if you didn't think they were well coached and they're losing bad, that'd be one thing. But the fact that we, we, we think that they're, they're doing the right things, they're just, just not nearly good enough to get them done, I guess is what I'm saying. No, I agree. The problem is at some point human nature takes over. Yes. And I think it already yeah. did in the A&M game. You could see it that night. And at some point when you just know you don't have any chance to win, I'm not suggesting somebody's not going to play hard, but there's not playing hard when you there's have levels. a chance. Right. And there's, there's I think it's different when you just don't have a chance from the moment you take the floor. And honestly, I just kind of think that's where they are. Right. And I will so far, you know, other than the A&M game, which is the first game after, and I'm, you know, they have – played well enough early uh you know i don't think there were any 11 two scores out of the block which seemed to happen a lot last year you know south carolina was just the phrase i guess you know death by a thousand paper cuts it was just sort of like you know it was even early and then it was four point lead seven point lead five point lead nine point lead 11 point leads you know just just gradual um I don't think there's, again, other than Texas A&M so far, I don't think there's been any no-shows. But like you said, Chris, human nature, and it's it's difficult. I mean, I don't, and, you know, it's, it's just a tough situation for these kids to, to, to be in. So they didn't sign up for this. It's just, it, it's happened. And, you know, it's even more painful when you watch and you see, uh, like South Carolina, they showed Cleavon Brown and, and Aaron Neesmith on the bench right there. It would almost be easier to watch if you, didn't, you weren't reminded showing those guys on the bench. Yeah, I think that, it was summed up by the fact that they lost to Alabama at home by 15 and Alabama turned it over 25 times. And the game was never really close in the second half. If you're looking for hope, if they get Cleavon Brown back, maybe you can sneak one in somewhere against Missouri or someone like that. But that's all I've got. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And that, I mean, that puts pressure on you when you have to, you know, in those few games that you've got a chance, you've got to play really well. You've got to hit your shots. And it's, it's just the, the, the shooting, just the, 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 the I think um, Adam Sparks had the tweet, and you might have commented on it, I think, on Twitter. It's just what this team is shooting after Aaron Neesmith's departure. And they keep saying it every week, Vanderbilt's a very easy team to defend right now. They weren't as easy to defend when you had Aaron Neesmith. And, and look at the scoring, look at the shooting percentages. Now, only one of those games was an SEC game, but this was a high-scoring team without Aaron Neesmith. And right now it's a low-scoring team. I was just having this discussion with my brother today. And I guess maybe the question is generic enough that it's hard to answer. But what is worse? Is it worse losing a game-changing stud in basketball, like the guy that you build your team around? And my case for that might be the fact that you um, you've only got five guys on the floor. So when you lose one of them, that's twenty percent production out of one of those guys. And if he's really good. Um, that seems to have sort of a disproportionate impact, if that makes sense. The other argument, I think, to counter that would be, is it worse to is it worse to lose that or worse to maybe lose a star quarterback? I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Oh, you know, each situation's different. I, I would probably say, you know, this, this is a unique situation because Neesmith was so much better offensively as a shooter than anyone else on the team. Um so, uh, sorry, I got distracted a little bit. My texts are my my daughter sent me a text that came over my yes, computer. Yes, that's the same so, thing uh, happened. Not from my daughter, but yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think it's basketball because of the five man. You know, it's just you're twenty percent of the team now. You could argue that quarterback's a more important position than any one position in, in football uh, or any one position in basketball. So I don't know. I mean, you can go back and forth. It just you know, it's it's a uh, it's not like you lose a big man who okay you can't throw the ball in, but you still have good shooters. You know, you you lose one of the best offensive players in the country and a kid shooting over fifty percent. So I guess that's the equivalent of losing a, a star quarterback. At this point, let's just go to the mailbag, and then after this, maybe we'll talk some baseball. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton of. Brentwood, who is an independent insurance agent, if you're looking for a one-stop shop for your insurance needs, Josh can help you out. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at HQ or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. We also thank our other podcast sponsors, The Well Coffee House, Wellspire, Sutherland and Belk, Simply a Fan, and Bowling Branch. Okay, this one from Baseball Bros. Sorry, Chris. Is The Well Coffee House one of your sponsors? It is. I am a – well, I don't know if there are multiple ones, but The Well out in Bellevue is – you know, now that I work from home, I try to – you know. Move around a little bit, so I'm not in the in the home office all day. So I've been to the well twice uh, to work over there. So I'm glad that they're sponsoring your show. Yeah, good folks there. Uh, there's one actually close to my brother's house on Aldrich Boulevard. I've been to a few times. Uh, but anyway, uh, this one from Baseball Bros. Are you still watching the basketball games? What are you looking for in the games? Since we all know the roster is extremely flawed and probably won't win an SEC game. As a fan, what, what would you want to see? 
from this team and coaching staff over the remaining games to give you hope moving forward? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I still watch. Um, I guess there's been some conflicts uh, um, with my son that still coaches. Uh, he plays rec league basketball. Um, let me. Wh- what I'm watching for, I guess, is is you know improvement from guys like Dylan Dessou, um and you know Scotty Pippen and Jordan Wright. I think Dessou can be a, a really good player. I like his skill set. You know, obviously he didn't play well in the Tennessee game. I don't know if the pressure of the streak or whatever. He, he just shot the ball horribly. But I like his his length and his athleticism and his you know I think he's going to be a good rebounder. Um, I think I, I think Pippen's probably better than I thought. Um, you know the problem is Pippen and Dessou should be playing. In an ideal world, those guys are playing ten to fifteen minutes on a good team off the bench, and then Jordan Wright's playing you know eight to ten minutes. Uh, I think Wright has probably been a little bit better than I thought too. So I think there are some young players that that can continue to grow and develop it's just, they're just put in situations that are very difficult right now um so you know that's what i'm you know Saban lee is what he is right now as a player you know you'd like to see him improve his jump shot he's streaky there'll be games where he'll he'll hit shots and there's games where he won't where he doesn't hit shots so i don't know how much progress he is going to make i think max evans is in a same situation he's not as good of a player Fire Saban Lee, but I think as a he he is what he is at this point, and we've seen guys develop late in their career. And I'm not I'm not comparing uh, Max Evans to to Jeffrey Taylor by any stretch, but Jeffrey Taylor was a non you know pretty much a non shooter for three years, or a streaky shooter, then became a pretty reliable three point shooter um, late as a senior. So maybe he can do that. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. I, on a, on a, a note, a Jeff Taylor note, I was sitting next to my son at the Tennessee game. You know, we all know Eves Pons from Tennessee. He's a really good athlete. Some of his dunks reminded me of Jeff Taylor. Just a quick burst getting off the floor so quickly. Like, I'd never seen that in a Vanderbilt player. I remember his freshman year against Illinois, he caught a ball, like, cutting through the lane and just dunked it so quickly. And just watching Eves Pons kind of reminded me of Jeff Taylor. Yeah, Jeff was one of the only guys at Vanderbilt out that I thought was going to wind up getting hurt for hitting his head on the rim. Didn't that actually happen once now that I think about it? Yeah, I think it was in practice. Stallings told the story uh, about, um, you know, he cut his head on the rim. I think maybe when they were in an overseas trip or in practice or something like that. Yeah. Another question from Baseball Bros. This is a little off topic. Then I'll get to a football question. He says, should I subscribe to The Athletic? If so... Can you help me with the valid argument to my wife on why I should be spending that money to read sports articles? She doesn't get sports. When the money can go towards our infant son, I think I have a creative solution for both of you. Tell me how you like this. I think he should subscribe and then read The Athletic to his infant son. Perfect. Well, you know, he clearly it's a good question. So he's got a son that takes a lot of his attention. And I had, my kids were young at one point too. So you need, you need some time to yourself. You need to get away. What better way than to read The Athletic? In all seriousness, no, I, I was a subscriber to The Athletic before I started working here. The one thing that I, I think is really good about it is the bundle. You know, like you get everything. Like I, I subscribed two years ago because of all the great national college football writers. But, you know, I can read about the Yankees. I can read about the Brooklyn Nets. I can read about anything. You know, the, there's, uh, you know, great coverage. And I'm going to be doing some, some Vanderbilt stuff. You know, we don't have a dedicated Vanderbilt writer. You know, we don't really for, for, for most of the private schools and stuff like that. But I've got some things I'm working on. Um, so I think, you know, Vanderbilt fan, and we'll, I'll go into more details. I'm getting ready to publish them. But I think Vanderbilt fans will, will enjoy some of these things, too. So uh, I would appreciate, uh, obviously, 
if people subscribe and then when, you know, I do publish Vanderbilt specific stuff to, to, to you know, to read that and, and stuff because that, that'll help us, you know, do more Vanderbilt stuff. Well, and I think Joe Rexroad did a pretty respectable job, too, of covering that program in bits and pieces. I presume you will take some of the burden off him. Joe, honestly, I thought devoted a surprising amount of attention to them the last few months, especially with so much stuff going on with the Titans and Predators. Yeah, no, he, you know, Joe's job is the is a columnist for the Athletic Tennessee, Athletic Nashville. So he's basically the same job as it was the Tennessean. So he's going to cover the things in town that are kind of what the the stories. You know, he he'll be doing some baseball stuff, probably he some stuff with Kumar Rocker. Um, and you know, he did that behind the scenes piece with Malcolm Turner, and that was one of the best, most well received. Drew the uh, got a lot of subscribers. So that um, so that again, since Joe's been on board, that one piece might have gotten the most subscribers. So um, that that was that he did a good job with that. Yeah, I think Joe's. I'm not just saying this because I work with him and whatever. He, he's fantastic. Yeah, I would agree. I've gotten to be friends with Joe. I've known him for years. I think he's a fine writer and a really good human being also. Ann Arbador asks, Javen Marlowe seemed to have a lot of potential as a freshman running back. He had barely played last year. Was there an injury that reduced his playing time? Do you see him in the mix next year? I do. Um, I think it was, you know, I, I kept asking the question. And I was told it was an injury. You know, he just wasn't back and didn't have that burst that he had his freshman year, that his injury. Because Andy Ludwig told me before he left that um, I didn't think he was going to require surgery. And I think he ended up needing surgery. So maybe it was more serious than they thought. Um, so I was, yeah, I was kind of told all along that it, would, that it was, you know, he just wasn't himself. And, and, and they expect him to be back to 100% this year. You might have something to add to that. No, I do think you're right on surgery. I don't remember what kind it was. I don't think they said. But, yeah, he was – man, I'm telling you, I've talked about it because when I watched him in practice in August of 2018, he just was noticeably fast. He had some explosiveness, some quick twitch, some wiggle. I always looked at that kid and thought, I think there's a player here for them. And I wasn't even thinking down the road. I was thinking right then and there. Of course, they had Vaughn at the time. Um, and then I think last year maybe – I don't know that, like you said, he was recovering from something. I don't know that he had quite what he had when he got to campus. But I think if he can recapture that, I think there is indeed something there. Yeah, yeah, I do. And, and you know, maybe the you know, as we've noted, the, some of the creativity with the offense was lacking last year. Um, you know, and it, you know, maybe, so maybe they'll get him more involved. And he had already redshirted. Uh, even though he played some as a freshman, he only played four games, or he might have only played three games. So there wasn't, you know, he he played last year when, when in some, like towards the end of the year, I think he might have played a couple plays a game. So it wasn't like they blew his redshirt because they couldn't redshirt him again. Well, it's time to talk baseball. I don't guess there's a whole lot new to talk about. Baseball America came out with its poll, I think, since we last talked. Yes. Vanderbilt's number one. Really, I'm. A little surprised in the polls. I thought that Vanderbilt would be maybe number two, maybe number three. I don't know. I don't know who would have been ahead of them. I kind of expected Louisville to be the team that most people pegged as one and Vanderbilt two, but it seems like it is shaping up the other way. Yeah, you know, it's hard. Um, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sending someone a note on I on an I am. I know that's not great podcasting, uh, but you know what? You get what you pay for with me, Chris. So, um, so. You know, it, it's we we all follow college baseball. You probably follow it more. Than, I mean, I follow it a lot. I I can't sit here and pretend to know. 
I know that Louisville's good. I know certain Florida's got good pitching that underachieved. I know the highlights and stuff. I can sit there and talk college football and college, especially college football and college basketball, and really have strong arguments about who should be number one or which team should be. I know Vanderbilt inside and out. I can't sit there and compare. Well, Louisville's outfield depth, you know, so you know what I'm getting at. It's I have a hard time, you, you know, poking, finding arguments in, in college baseball rankings. I can sit here and, and kind of agree, look at Vanderbilt and say, you know what, there's a lot of new, there's six new play, everyday players. Um, you know, Hugh Fisher, you know, being hurt isn't going to help the depth. So how could they be number one? But then you look, they might have the best starting rotation that we've seen at Vanderbilt and the best, as we talked about last couple of weeks, the best front of the line pitching that we've seen and, and the best hitter in baseball. So uh, I will defer to the people that, that dive into this stuff much more, the Aaron Fitz of the world and those guys. But um, um, yeah, I wasn't surprised to see Vanderbilt number one. I am looking at the schedule right now. I've started kind of making a matrix as the polls come out of who they play. And here are the tougher series this year. They play Florida, which is four in D1, fourth in Baseball America, 10th in the coaches' poll. Um, did I get that right? Yes, I did. Tenth in the coaches poll. I have double checked. And so when I name rankings, it's going to go in order of D1 Baseball American coaches poll. They have Georgia, which is five seven four. They have Louisville, which is I'm sorry, Louisville's a midweek game. I'll try to get back to midweek games and single game opponents later. Uh, LSU is eleven fourteen and twelve. Mississippi State is ten nine and six. Ole Miss is twenty five. I don't think ranked by Baseball America at all, and 23rd in the coaches' poll. And in single games, they've got a game with UCLA March the 6th. UCLA is 10, 4, and 8. Michigan, February 14th, 13, 8, and 11. And Louisville, May the 5th, 1, 2, and 2. So lots of ranked opponents on that schedule, Mitch. Yeah, I mean, it's and I think Adam Sparks had a story today, you know, based on the, I think the media availability last week that you were probably at, um, about the the schedule and how, how coach Corbin likes it that way. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, he, especially this year, you know, with, with two trips out West um, it's, you know, in the past, some years they played one, one had one tough road trip and then played, you know, three, not three, not, you know, great non-conference, you know, usually there's one that's decent, but you know, Vanderbilt should win. So, um, you know, I, I think it's fun. It's good to play those good teams. And, and when you know, you're going to be good, there's, there's no reason not to. I was listening to the Ole Miss Rivals podcast. My buddies, Neil McCready and Chase Parham, do a pretty good podcast that I listen to every now and then. They were talking about Mike Bianco's job security. And that's one of those things. It's kind of like Bianco is sort of, to Ole Miss baseball and its fans, what Kevin, Kevin Stallings was to Vanderbilt. In other words, he won a lot, won at a lot for that program, but there was always sort of that, well, can he get us where we want to be sort of thing with the fans. And with Kevin, I think the frustration was that his best teams never achieved his best results and they would get to the Sweet 16 but never got higher. I don't know that it's exactly the same with Bianco, but he's been there I think now for 20 years and they've gotten Omaha once and they seem to flame out in that super regional where they've lost so many times and occasionally in a regional. But they were talking, it's kind of that climate where it's gotten stale and fans, a lot are just ready for them to move on. They were saying they think it's going to be hard for him to survive the year 
And this is why it goes to schedule. And I'm trying to pull this up right now. The internet is a little bit slow. But here's who they play. This is just, this is maybe the worst I've ever seen. Okay, they open with a three-game series against Louisville. Uh, they've got a single game with Indiana somewhere in March 1, which is usually pretty good. Their out-of-league schedule heading in isn't that great. But then they they start with LSU and Oxford. LSU's ranked. Then they go to Texas A&M, which I think is ranked. Uh, then they go to Arkansas, which is definitely ranked. Or sorry, they host Arkansas. Midweek game with Southern Miss, which is usually not easy. South Carolina, uh, they host. Carolina won't be very good. Then they go to Mississippi State, which I talked about earlier. They're top 10. They have Vandy in Oxford. Vanderbilt, again, number one or number two, depending on the source. Then a midweek game with Mississippi State that they always play. Then they go to Florida, which is top five by most people. Go to Georgia, same territory. They go uh, host Auburn, which is top 10. Then they finish at Alabama, which is kind of a break. Basically, they play nine series against top 25 teams and then have some midweek games mixed in there with top 25 opponents too. The point they were making is there's almost no way they go 500 in conference just with that schedule, and that alone might be enough to get him out. But that's was just kind of a really interesting thing. It is funny how schedules sometimes play into these things. Yeah, uh, I actually thought your your comparison to Kevin Stallings is, you know, uh, not, not bad. You know, I think Ole Miss has been higher ranked nationally than Vanderbilt basketball was consistently. But as far as just everyone kind of recognizing he was a good coach, he did a good job. But after a certain amount of time, which is, you know, it's healthy sometimes uh, after a certain amount of time for, for coaches to move on. Um, I do know one Ole Miss fan who, who you know, would, would you know, put the for sale sign on, on Mike Bianco's front you know, front yard right now, just once I'm gone for all those reasons. Uh, sometimes he's not the most rational fan, but, you know, that's what that's what fans are. So, uh, you know, it, it doesn't help that Mississippi State's been consistently really, really good in recent years and, and, and made runs to Omaha or, you know, deep runs. So, yeah, that, that's a very difficult schedule. And SEC West, you know, the whole SEC is loaded, but the SEC West is, is very unforgiving. Well, winning a league is often – when you have unbalanced schedules, which is the case with most Power 5 leagues now. Big 12 would be an exception. But it's about who you don't play. Like, actually, last year, that almost cost Michigan getting in the tournament because it, like, caught all the weak teams in the Big 10, it seemed. And winning those games a lot of times would hurt Michigan's RBI. Of course, that ended well for Michigan. That was a really good team, which is one reason I'm not a big fan of RPI. It doesn't always show how good you are. That is another podcast. But circling back to Vandy – it's who they don't catch this year that I think could help them. They don't play Arkansas. They play Mississippi State, and Arkansas number five in the coaches' poll. So according to the coaches, the best team in the West is not on the schedule at all, speaking from a Vanderbilt perspective. Mississippi State, it does play. State is six in the coaches' poll. That's at home. They don't play Auburn at all. Auburn is nine. And they don't play Texas A&M at all, which is 21. So, who's am I missing another team in there? Because you don't play what? Did you have Alabama? Okay, well, they don't – They don't. 
No, they do play Alabama. And that's the team. Like, the teams you kind of want to play are Alabama and Kentucky. Those are probably the weakest two teams. And those right. are on the Vandy schedule also at home. And actually, frankly, I think you'd rather have those on the road. Um, right. Maybe swap out a trip with LSU. But they catch a little bit of a break on the schedule. I think just by being in the West, you play the brutal teams. But the point they were making is like uh, Ole Miss doesn't get to play like Tennessee and Kentucky – um, which are in, in Missouri either, which are probably the bottom three teams in the league. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I, on this note about, and this is, you know, this is probably not the best way of looking at it, but I've noticed that Ohio State is pretty much in all baseball top 25s this year. And I know they had some guys out last year. And it, you can't just say because the team's good this year that they weren't good. They were good the previous year, all that. But after Vanderbilt got its. Uh, draw last year and we all dove in we, we I think the consensus was that Ohio State was a pretty good number four and Vanderbilt kind of got screwed and the fact that they're a top 25 team this year you know again it's a little dangerous to look at it this way but it almost validates the, the fact that they were much better than uh, a number four seed or a, a number four seed playing a num- the number one overall or number two overall seed last year yeah I'm looking at the coaches poll I don't have the others in front of me they missed that Okay, they're, but they're they did. But they did get eleven votes. They were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams out. So that's what number. I've seen them in at least one. Top yeah, top. I mean, I watched them play. That's one of those that sometimes the optics look good or a team looks okay on paper, and you're like, well, that was kind of an illusion. I thought the way they played, like this team's got some talent. They had a good outfield or two. They had some good pitching. I remember saying at the time. That's a team that, to me, is a dark horse for the top 25 maybe next year because they had a lot of those kids coming back, and evidently that is how it's playing out. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, again, I think one of their better pitchers was, was hurt too or was out for the all last year. So, um, yeah, it obviously didn't matter. Vanderbilt got through them pretty quickly or pretty easily. No, I don't know how easily, but got through them. But it was just um, – I remember thinking they were a pretty good number four seed. Mitch, we'll have more baseball stuff to talk about in the coming weeks. I know I'll dig in from a media standpoint, get over there a little bit more. There's been a lot of stuff at the site coming up with previews, not just to the team, but the schedule and stuff. And so we'll have more baseball content to discuss in the coming weeks. But anything else that we didn't get to in terms of that or something else with Vanderbilt Sports that's worth chatting about today? Uh, not really. I I shared my my – my parting shot was about Ohio State baseball. So how about that for a Vanderbilt podcast? That but was the, a good observation. I'm actually glad that you said that because I had not really thought to kind of follow up and see where they were in preseason. Right now, my focus has kind of been on, okay, who's Vanderbilt playing and how good are they? I would not checked for that, but I'm not shocked to see them end up there. I will tell you this on a tangent. I'm really glad to see the Big Ten improving at baseball and getting more visibility because I think that's going to be one key – to growing the popularity of the game, which I'm all for. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, it's it, and then you know, just it. We get it. Northern schools, there's there's a disadvantage. It's 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 more difficult and all that stuff. But the fact that more schools are committing to it, I think it started, you know, with Indiana as far as making the commitment, and you know, the fact that Michigan hired Eric Backage away from Maryland, and obviously Ohio State, Minnesota's always had a pretty pretty good program. Illinois had its moments. So yeah, it, it's probably better for baseball that the, the sport overall, that it's not just all teams in the South and in the West. Yeah, I mean, half the Big Ten probably is somewhat in on baseball. I mean, I think you just named most of the schools. Illinois and Indiana got some decent facilities. Michigan does. 
I don't know what Ohio States are like, but I think that's the next thing to watch is where does the money go and who puts it in. I think Minnesota, yeah. another one that you mentioned, kind of a dark horse. But I do see those schools seeming to make a little bit more of a move with financial commitments. Yeah, definitely. Mitch, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. You've already kind of talked about the athletic, but if you've got a story or something you'd like to promo, that's a good time to do that as well. Okay, well, you find me at Athlon Mitch, and, and nothing really specific. Uh, I will in the next couple of weeks. Have have a, some stuff I'm working on about Vanderbilt, and, and in due time, I will I, I will uh, use this platform to talk about those. All right, he is Mitch Light, the host, or not the host. The you wish, is, what, yes, may, yes. You know what? If the losing keeps, I, yeah. I think maybe that was subliminal. I'm like, yeah. who's going to do this if if I don't have better information or, or better better topics? Yeah, better I guess to talk about so. right. All right. So who are you again? I I'm a guest. Yes, but your title at The Athletic. Oh, uh, Managing Editor uh, for Nashville and Memphis. Yes, he's all that. And I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast, maybe for not not that much longer at this rate. But anyway, hope everybody has a great week. We'll see you again soon.